Hey everybody, it's Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. Hey, while you're on your phone, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram. And you can download the Fern Creek Christian Church app on your phone today. We hope this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus, to be a disciple that makes more disciples. So without further ado, here's the message. Great to see you. Hey, uh, before we get in the message, I know our city is just full of, again, more turmoil with all this JCPS stuff. And I know everybody's probably got an opinion on that, but, but, but how about we just pause and just pray um, and ask God to do what only God can do. So let's pray specifically for a couple of groups of people. Let me, let me, let me, let me pray over. God, um, I, I want to pray um, that this whole busing fiasco would, 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 would get fixed. God, God, we pray for the kids on the buses who, who are probably scared to death to get back on a bus again. And, and I, I just pray, Lord, that you would bring healing and comfort to those little ones. I pray for parents whose anxiety had to be off the roof. Um, God, I pray for bus drivers who are just doing the best job they can be, and I'm sure that they're absorbing anger and criticism, and, and they're, they're just trying to do what they've been told to do. And, and so, God, I, I, don't, I don't know the fix. I don't know how this is going to get better. I just pray for the people involved, that you would breathe healing and hope, and that this thing would get fixed so kids and teachers can go to school, do their thing, and be blessed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. amen. Well, hey, um, if you're visiting with us, welcome. We are navigating through the greatest sermon ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount, delivered by the greatest preacher to ever live. That's Jesus. This section of scripture is in Matthew chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven. And we are in week eight. We've got nine more weeks to go. So we're about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. And what I'm discovering preaching through this is it is forcing me to take a look at topics that I've never preached on before. It's forcing me as you go, you know, exegetically, textually through these three chapters. I mean, unless you skip over it, you are forced to deal with some things. That you're like, oh, didn't realize that. Oh, I've read that, but I've never really rested there. And so we're being challenged. We're being challenged with this whole sermon. Um, so, so I thought since we're about halfway, if you're visiting with us, I, I'd like to recap a little bit. If you've been with us the whole time, this will be good to, again, go back and kind of recall. Here, here, so here's the question. Why is Jesus launching into this sermon? Because he doesn't do anything by accident. He specifically launches into this sermon at a very key moment of his ministry. And I want to remind you of that. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. Let's go back and take a look at how Matthew chapter 4 ends. Let me show you what's going on that triggers the Sermon on the Mount. So come back with me. Look at Matthew 4. Watch how it ends, verses 23 to 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, and he was doing two things. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. 
News about him spread all over Syria. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And then chapter four ends and then the Sermon on the Mount starts. So, so again, remember, everywhere he goes, Jesus is building thousands of people who follow him. And, and, and remember, he's not selling tickets for $900 a piece. There's no Hayes pyrotechnics. There's no VIP pre-concert meet and greet. Jesus is not traveling around entertaining people. He's setting them free. People who have seizures, leave meeting him never having seizures ever again. People who are carried, they can't walk, they're lame, they walk home. People who come to him with some type of issue leave whole. Now, that's what Jesus is doing. He's healing all of these people. And so he's building this massive crowd. So the question is, well, why? Why is Jesus, I understand him preaching about the kingdom, but what is it with this massive focus on healing all of these people? Well, there's lots of reasons Jesus healed people, but two answers ought to rise to the top of your page when you think about the healing ministry of Jesus. And the first one is, it was promised. It was promised through the prophets of the Old Testament that when Messiah arrived, you would know it was him because of his healing ministry. Isaiah the prophet lived 700 years before Jesus. Listen to what Isaiah said would happen when Messiah shows up. Isaiah 35, five. When he shows up, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shall shout for joy. Now, friends, Jesus healed every one of those illnesses. So, so, so why is Jesus going around healing thousands of people? Because the Old Testament prophesied. God told people that when he comes, he would have a healing ministry. But there was another reason Jesus healed, and that was to display the power of God. I mean, Jesus was traveling around saying things that no person in their right mind would say. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Well, well man, that's pretty extraordinary to say. You better be able to back that up. And so when Jesus does these miracles, it backs up his claim that he has the power uh, that only could really come from God. One day they brought a blind man to Jesus this guy had been blind and, 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 and a little argument broke out. They, they, they thought that if you were sick, it was because God was punishing you either because of your sins or your parents' sins. So before Jesus heals this guy, they bring him and they ask him a question, who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And listen to what Jesus says. Look at John 9, 3. It's not because of his sins. It's not because of his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Jesus is saying, man, I am healing this guy. No one sinned. I'm healing him to show you I am who I claim to be. Man, he was so powerful. Listen to what we read in Mark chapter six. Everywhere Jesus went, whether it was into villages or towns or the countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were what? 
Man, can you imagine if you just touched the edge of his robe, man, you got, you got healed. So people came to him. They flocked to him by the thousands wanting to get a piece of him. Jesus has gone viral. And the Sermon on the Mount is strategically placed right after that. It's a response to this massive throng of humanity that he is drawn to himself. Jesus is basically saying, you have seen what I can do. Now come close and let me tell you something about the kingdom of God. Listen to what I have to say. And what Jesus has to say is shocking. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, it is shocking. See, the Jews, the Jews, the religious people of the day of Jesus, they were expecting Messiah. They, they knew that he was coming, but they expected Messiah to bring a physical kingdom with physical blessings. He's going to bring a political kingdom. He's going to make Israel great again, right? That, that was their... That's what he's going to, he's going to kick Rome out. Israel, like in the days of David, we'll be on top. We'll be king of the world, king of the mountain. Politically, everyone will bow to us. And Jesus shows up, does all this miracles. Everybody comes together and he says, surprise. Nope, not going to happen. The kingdom of God has never been about a physical kingdom. It's never been about a political kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount teaches us. It's an upside down kingdom where the first is gonna be last and the last is gonna be first. It's a spiritual kingdom, a, a kingdom where the poor in spirit will be blessed, a kingdom where you will love and pray for your enemies, a kingdom where the inside matters. And that was revolutionary because if you went to church, all you heard in pulpit after pulpit after pulpit was it was, you didn't hear about the inside, you heard about the outside. The Pharisees misunderstood, misused the Bible, and they misled a lot of their people. And the way they misled them is that they taught them that righteousness, holiness, being good with God is measured by one thing, and that's external activity. It's how you perform. It's what other people can see. Remember a few weeks ago, Jesus corrected this false teaching. Remember the last couple of weeks, the Pharisees would say, oh, just don't kill anybody. And Jesus says, no, man, it's about hatred. If you hate your brother inside, you're just as guilty as a murder. Fix the inside. It's not just the outside. The Pharisees, oh, just don't commit adultery. Just don't sleep with somebody that's not your spouse. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Lust feeds the deed. You got to get rid of the lust. Just give her a certificate of divorce. No, Jesus comes along and says, keep your word. Oh, your word, you, if you pledge your vows a certain way, if you fudge the wording, you don't have to fulfill your vows. Jesus says, no, be a man or a woman of integrity. Say what you mean, mean what you say, fulfill your vow. Jews would say an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You cut me off, I'm cutting you off. I'm just not gonna give you more than what you deserve. And Jesus says, no, forgive other people. I can hate my enemies. Jesus says, no, love and pray for those who persecute you. So the last several weeks really could be illustrated by the graphic 
that we used a couple weeks ago, the graphic of the iceberg, you remember? The Pharisees were running around telling everybody, it's the tip of the iceberg that matters. What, you can, what people see, how you perform, what you do. And Jesus says, no, in the kingdom of God, there's a whole nother level. It's all, there's an internal unseen world that, that God wants you to give to him, that God wants you to pursue. Get that inside clean, that's just as crucial. So that, that's the recap. That's where we've been the last eight weeks. Now, now Jesus is going to make a turn. So in Matthew chapter 6, we've done all of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to make a turn. And now he's going to talk about the tip of the iceberg. He's going to go, oh, okay, we've talked about the internal. All right, let's go ahead and talk about the external. Let's talk about performance. Let's talk about what people can see in your life. There were three externals, three deeds, three activities that if you truly loved God, you would embrace. Three spiritual disciplines. One was giving, one was praying, and one was fasting. And those Pharisees were experts at all of them, giving, praying, and fasting. These were three spiritual exercises that everybody, if you love God, you did. And Jesus is going to say, okay, let's talk about these three. That's our outline for the next three weeks in Matthew 6, giving, praying, and fasting. And Jesus says, Pharisees, you've screwed that up as well. So, so, so watch this. Let's take the first one today. Let's talk about this, this idea of giving to the poor. All right, listen to what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, be careful, be careful when you do good things. Don't do them in front of people to be seen by them. If you do that, you're going to have no reward from your father in heaven. When you give to the poor, don't be like the hypocrites. They blow trumpets in the synagogues, on the streets, so that people will see them and honor them. I tell you the truth, those hypocrites already have their full reward. So when you give to the poor, don't let anyone know what you're doing. Your giving should be done in secret. Your father can see what's done in secret and he will reward you. So again, I don't need to go in depth, but Jesus says when you give, just be careful. Don't be showy. And then he talks about the poor. Look, look at it. When you, when you give to the poor. Now, notice Jesus doesn't say if you give to the poor. He doesn't say, well, maybe one day if you got a bonus, you'll get. He doesn't say if or maybe. He says what? When? It was an expectation in the mind of Jesus that if you followed God, you would on a regular basis make it a point to try to help somebody in need. So giving to the poor is not dessert, it's not icing, it's, it's a staple. It's what's expected. As a matter of fact, this is something all of God's people understood. Look at Deuteronomy 15, 11. There will always be poor people in the land. God says, therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy. So, so again, if you loved God, you followed God, you had a relationship with God, one of the ways that that would express itself outwardly is by your giving. You would tithe and you would give to the poor. You would tithe and you would give to the needy. That's just kind of how, it was one of the things that you did. And Jesus says, do it very carefully. Now, let's talk about the poor for a second. I, I just want to tell you, I've never preached a sermon on poverty See, when you, when you come through a text like this, you're forced to deal with things you've never, I've considered it, I've thought about it, I've never preached about it, but let's talk about poverty. 
Let's talk about the needy for a second. Let's talk about poor folks for a second. Let's talk about it this way. When you think of someone that's poor, when you think of someone in great poverty, what, what, what images come to your mind? I can tell you what image comes to my mind. Like when I take the Gene Snyder and I get off on Bargetown Road, I see a guy or a gal, or sometimes it's both, standing right there with a little sign, cardboard sign that says, hungry, need money. Or, or maybe you've walked downtown, or maybe you've been in a, another large city where you've seen the, the old lady sitting on the corner of the street and bags of garbage or possessions all around her with a little cup that says, help, need money. Or, or maybe it's a guy who walks a certain corner or a certain street that stops people and asks everybody, do you have any spare change? What are we to do? What is our responsibility towards the poor? towards the homeless, towards the needy. Well, there are two camps. One camp would say, you don't give to street beggars. The Bible says, if you do not work, you do not eat. I could take that person right now and find them a job in 30 seconds. So if they're not willing to work, they're not willing to eat. Besides, spare change is just spare change. You're just enabling. That's not gonna help. Maybe they aren't hungry. Maybe all they want to do is buy Bud Light. I hear it's really cheap now. <laughs> Maybe that's what they're going to do. So that's one side of the coin. Another side of the coin would be, no, we, we should give. Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did to me. It's not my responsibility for what they're going to do with the money. My responsibility is just to love and be generous. Even a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus will be honored and will be rewarded. And, and I can't solve that. I think there are points to be made probably on both sides. So as I was trying to think of poverty, as I was trying to think of people who are really in need today, I, I just sat down and I said, did Jesus ever experience professional beggars? People who begged full time, people who begged for a living. Did Jesus ever encounter Street beggars. And, and the answer is absolutely he did. And I think there's some amazing lessons that we can find in how we should relate to people in that situation, to how Jesus did. Now, there's, two, there's two, two occasions. You go through the whole New Testament, only two times Jesus actually engaged with what we would call a full-time beggar. Blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10 and a man born blind in John chapter 9. Now, in each one of these instances, Jesus never gave them money. He gave them something way more. He healed, he healed them. He gave them their sight. Now, that's something that none of us can do, right? So I can't do what, what Jesus did, but, but I think he modeled some amazing things for us. Here's the first thing that I took. J Jesus never judged them. Je Jesus never rolled his eyes Jesus never whispered, get, get a job, wish I could stand around all day. No, he never judged those who were poor. So, so, so maybe, maybe my first response is to repent. <laughs> maybe I, I need to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, for trying to find the speck in my brother's eye while I got a log in my. God, God, God forgive me for judging 
those I see who, who might be poor, or those who, who I see who I don't think they're, they're doing this or they ought to be doing. God, have mercy. Forgive me. May I not judge men or women that I see in, in great need. Second thing I think Jesus teaches us is that he treated each one of those, those fellows with love. He just treated them with love. The way he spoke to them, the way he engaged them, the way he took time for them just, just flowed. It just flowed from this heart of compassion and love. Now, I know today you've got to think about your safety and your security, but, but maybe, maybe instead of just plopping a few dollars into somebody's hand, maybe just taking the time to look at them in the eye. So, oh, you know, he, yeah, he, maybe just looking at them in the eye and, and asking, what's your name? Maybe just seeing this other human being created in the image of God and just having compassion internally to say, I, I want to know who you are and, and, and and I want to treat you with respect. And I'm not here to look down on you or to judge you. I, I want to love you. And I want to pray with you. Or how can I pray for you? Or how, those are all things I think, I think we can do. J Jesus did something. In each one of these cases, he did something. Now, you don't always have to give cash. And I'm not saying cash is always the smart thing to give. Maybe you carry in your car a Ziploc bag just full of things that, that God, if you ever prick my heart and I'm in contact with someone in need, he, he, I've got some things that I've thought about. I got a little note inside and, 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 and you would discern what, what those things would be, but may, maybe that's something that I could do. Maybe it's a gift card to McDonald's. Maybe you keep a $10 gift card to a fast food restaurant in your car to where you say, okay, God, if you put me in close proximity to somebody in need, I could at least do this. Maybe it's a list of just agencies. I, I don't know what it is, but, but if called upon, I, I think there are things that maybe we can do. And here's the last point. I want to balance this. Here's the last point. Jesus didn't help every street beggar. And he did not heal every disease. I, I, I talked to you about the beginning about how, man, he healed a lot of people, but he didn't heal every single one. The New Testament tells us about two street beggars that Jesus interacted with. Do you think there were more than two street beggars in Israel? <laughs> oh, yeah. There had to have been. Now, now we don't, Bible doesn't say that Jesus didn't have more, but, but I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there were more street beggars than what Jesus could get to. There were also other people that had needs that Jesus didn't meet. One, one day Jesus was walking in Jerusalem beside a, a ritual bath, a big, huge pool of water where people would actually walk down into, I mean, the jumbo Two or three or four Olympic-sized swimming pools connected, these, these bathing ritual pools. And he was walking by one, and a lot of infirm people, a lot of disabled people would, would, would kind of hang out by this pool. Watch this. Look at John chapter 5, verse 3. At this pool, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, 
One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So how many disabled people were there? Many. There were many. Hang on to that. Of the many, Jesus is drawn to one. Don't know why he was drawn to this one, but he was drawn to this one. And he learns that this guy had been disabled for 38 years. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? And then the guy launches into this story. The story goes, the tradition at the time was when the water of that pool began to bubble. The story was an angel had descended over the water and stirred the water with his wings. That's why the water was bubbling. And the tradition said the first one who got in the water first would be healed. So the man says, well, when the water bubbles, I have no one to help me in, so I can't be healed. Now, again, that was, that was a human tradition. It was probably a volcanic thing, why the water bubbled. But, but beside that, Jesus doesn't throw him into the water. He, he just, okay, I'm going to heal you right here, right now. And Jesus heals this guy and then disappears into the crowd. Now, Back to my question. How many disabled people were there? How many did Jesus heal? There were a lot of people that Jesus left that day that were still needful. So Jesus didn't heal every sick person. Jesus didn't provide for every need. I I think what Jesus did is he let the Holy Spirit lead him. For some reason, the Spirit led him to that one Man, and I guess that's what I have for you. I can't tell you what you're supposed to do when you pass the guy who has the cardboard sign. I can't tell you what to do when someone walks up to you on the street and says, can you spare some change? What I can tell you is may our prayer every single day be Holy Spirit, open my eyes this day to those in need. And prompt me, prompt me at some point. And when you prompt me, when you call me, when you stir me, may I go. Not knowing how it's going to work, not knowing what I'm going to do. But when you prompt, when you call, when you stir, may I love and may I give when you call. All right, back to our text. Look at Matthew 6 too. So when you give to the needy, 15 minutes on seven words. Woo, we got a long ways to go. I'll speed up, I'll speed up. Look at how verse two ends. So when you give to the needy, not if, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Now, this verse really stopped me. I'm like, like, did they really have trumpeters, like, like people who would play the, the, no, there's no archaeological evidence, there's no historical evidence that they, I mean, can you imagine, like, can you imagine had that really been the case? Ladies and gentlemen, the Duke of Denarius, the Count of Coinage, the right Reverend Grammar presents his tithe, do, 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 right? I mean, that'd be kind of wild, right? There's no evidence of that at all. So, so it's like, okay, well, what, did, what does this mean? Like, like was Jesus be, being like symbolic? Like, well, check this out. This is pretty cool. At the temple in Jerusalem, you know, the, the temple in Jerusalem was the big place where you went to worship. 
There were 13 offering boxes built into the temple walls where people would come and deposit their gifts to the needy. And sticking out of the wall, every one of these 13 boxes, there was this bronze funnel. It was larger on the front end, and then the closer it got to the box, it got narrower, and it went into the wall, and it, was, it just guided the coins into the box inside the wall that the priest could get to from the inside, but that's how people would give. Now, you could give your gift, and you could kind of slide it, you could slide it in, or you could make it what? You could make it sing, right? And the Pharisees loved to make that, it looked like a trumpet. They would love to make that trumpet sing. So they'd take their coins and be like, boom, bam. And people would be like, what is going on over there? Let's go, wow, oh, that's Joe. He's giving his offering. And, and she's like, no, that's not, that's not how you're supposed to give. That's not the way I want you to to show your good deeds, right? Jesus says, when you give, when you help, when you do a good deed, don't make it a big deal. Don't attract attention. Don't show off your generosity. Jesus says, people who do that, he calls them a name. The Greek is hypocrites. Hypocrites. These are the actors. That's the Greek word for actor, pretender. Our English word is what? Hypocrite. Isn't that a great word to call all those San Francisco or, or Hollywood actors? Hypocrites. Well, the Greek word was a performer. And Jesus says, when people give to be noticed by other people, they're being hypocrites. They're being performers, pretenders. See how I love. Be impressed with my charity. Witness my devotion. And Jesus says, don't, don't do your good deeds that way. Don't give that way. And then he tells why. He says why we shouldn't give that way. Look at 2B. I, I tell you, if you're going to give that way, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what's done in secret, ah, he will reward you. So, so, so Jesus says, look, you, know, you can give and you're going to be rewarded for your giving. It just depends upon how you want to be rewarded. Jesus says, when you toot your own horn, the only reward you're going to get is this, is the applause of people. The, you, you know, you, you give, you build a building and you put your name on the plaque. The only reward you're going to get is the ceremony where everybody goes, oh, that was so nice and so generous. Isn't that great? So if you get to toot your horn, your reward is just simply the admiration of your fellow human beings. But Jesus says, when you give secretly, when you give humbly, when you give on the down low, God sees that and God keeps track of that and God's going to honor. God will reward you for that. And this is one of the reasons, one of the reasons why none of our elders, none of our staff, not even me. I don't know what any of you give. I don't want to know what any of you give. There's only two people in this church who knows what anybody gives, and that's our bookkeepers. And they only know it. They don't really know. They just input it for tax records. They don't share that with anybody else. So I don't have a list of our top 20 givers. <laughs> there are no golden bricks on this campus with anyone's name on it. There's not the 
Grotesky Library or the Zola Wing or the Grammar Latrine. There, there's none of that. If you give a sizable donation to our church, I won't even know it. You won't get a phone call. You won't get a letter. You won't get a plaque. Why? We don't want to steal or rob you of your reward. We want God to honor that and to reward that. And it's not, it's not something that we want to we wanna shout because we want, we want God to honor you. Now, now, hang on with me. Jesus is not saying, well, now if anyone finds out, if anyone figures out what you did or what you gave and they say something that that's going to take away your reward. He's not saying that. What he's saying, it's not about their knowledge, it's about your action. If you give, if I give for my glory, that's going to mean one thing. If I'm coming to give for his glory, that's going to mean another. How am I giving? Am I giving to be seen by others or am I giving to be seen by God? Friends, what, what, what do we learn in these four verses in Matthew chapter 6? We, we learn that p- part of true religion, part of following Jesus, part of being a disciple is, is to give to those in need, to be aware of the Holy Spirit, to treat those who are poor, to treat those in need with love and dignity and when called upon to give. But when we give, whether it's to the poor or whether it's to the church or whether it's to our next door neighbor, we, we, we want to give correctly, humbly, secretively and let the Holy Spirit uh, guide us. Let, let's give, let's give to worship, to honor and to obey our God who will see and who will be pleased and who will reward. Let's pray. God, thanks for this section in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, God, my, 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 it's just so funny when you start to pray, Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. And how the Spirit does that. And, and, and God, when, when you move us to give to someone in need, we may have no idea what that's going to mean or what to do. But, but God, as we enter into that, you're going to help us figure it out. So I pray this week that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear uh, to help those in need. And, and, and God, as we give, we, we do so correctly. God, as we enter into this time of communion, I'm reminded that that we were once beggars, spiritually speaking. We had nothing to offer you. And yet, Jesus, you came to free us. And because of your death on the cross, we who are spiritually poor are now spiritually rich. We are spiritually wealthy because of what you've done for us. So, Lord, as we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we, we do so thanking, thanking you grateful. May we stop to consider those in need in the coming week. I pray in Jesus' name. Hey, it's Matt Zola again. That was a powerful message we just heard. I pray that what we have learned today wouldn't just be stored in our minds, but would move into our hearts and help us to be conformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus. 
And I pray that that message helped you become a better follower of Jesus and taught you how to love, live, and lead like Jesus. If you want to talk with somebody about something you just heard or you want prayer for something going on in your life, there's somebody on staff who would love to connect with you. Why don't you email us at office at ferncreekcc.org and we want to put a name to your face. We want to know your story and we want to connect with you in person if we can. Again, that's office at ferncreekcc.org. You know, one of the things we value at Fern Creek Christian Church is being a part of community. If you've been listening to our sermons online or you've been watching our services on YouTube or Facebook, why don't you come visit us in person one Sunday? We would love to get to know who you are, and we believe that we grow better as followers of Jesus in community and not in isolation. You know, God gives us community as a gift. We have services every Sunday morning, and we hope that you'll feel welcomed enough to be able to join us and worship with us in person. Thanks for tuning in today. Grace, peace, bless others this week.